How are we doing? Welcome back. Um, students who are just getting back, I hope you got everything you wanted for Christmas. I got a beard. Um, <laughs> no, it was not a gift, but no. I do have a beard now. I didn't when you left, but I do now. Uh, w- welcome back. We're glad to see some new faces back. Thanks. Um, oh, Children's Church. You're dismissed to Children's Church if you'd like to go. That was cute. Ryan, turn me down just a little bit. Okay. I'm picky. That's just what happens. Well, Ryan and I were joking around in the sound booth, actually, while the kids are going away. That it's, it's really interesting that Ryan McBride, when he's up here, he says, um, spin around, shake a hand, and he usually says either say hi or tell you them you look lovely today. And it's really interesting because everybody I hear does exactly what he says. He says, say hi. You say hi. You say you look lovely. You say you look lovely. <laughs> we're going to get him to start saying and spin around and say, I'm going to give over and beyond my means this year to Bethany Baptist Church and join and become a member and become a, an evangelist and really reach my, we're going to give him like a list of things to say because apparently you guys listen to him much better than you do Tom and I. So we're going to give you a list of things to say in this new year, but okay, they're all gone. Trust me, they, they want to split. It, all right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, um, the very beginning of uh, chapter 9 this week. So if you want to go ahead and get there, we're going to be there. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in front of you. We also put all the scriptures up on the screen, but I highly recommend having a Bible. And if you don't have one, take that with you. That's yours. Uh, we, we love to provide those to you and whatnot. Uh, just again, ju- just to reiterate our announcements, it's really important. And just in case you came in before after announcements, we are having a business meeting on the 24th. And we are making amendments to the Constitution at that, and there are copies of the revised Constitution right back there. And you can let us know what you think about it as long as it's positive during the week. And, no, we'll take some constructive criticism. But um, they're back there for you to take with you, so please do that. And that is the 24th. Okay, this morning we're in part, I believe, 27 in our Acts series. If you're here for the first time in a long time and you're going, oh my gosh, I just walked into part 27, how am I going to have any clue what's going on? Don't worry, it's not that way. We explain it in detail what we're going through. We're going verse by verse through the book of Acts currently. We took a break for Christmas uh, just to do a the ornament series, and we're back in it now. Tom kicked us off last weekend. Uh, we're, we're up to Saul's conversion today. And so before we dive in, I, I want to be really clear on, on something this morning, just so that you know this. I, I'm going to be really clear with you. There are no hidden agendas here this morning. My goal this morning is that if you walked in here and you don't believe in Jesus, that you will walk out believing in him. I'm just going to tell you straight up. No secrets. You know, like, I'm not going to beat around the bush on that. That's the goal. The other goal is also for believers, that you will be reinstilled with hope for those who you know who are far from God. Okay? So just really clear, we'll go Quentin Tarantino style. I'll give you the end before we get there. Right? Anybody, movie buffs, you even know that? We're going to go that way. That's the end. The end is we hope that some people come to know him today and that if you do believe in him, that you will be reaffirmed in that and you will not give up on those who are far from God. So I'll try. This is a super emotional message for me. I'm not like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of these guys who like, I, I like to portray like the guy's guy kind of thing. I, I love watching ultimate fighting and football. Maybe not football anymore. Than I, yesterday was a horrible day. Um, I'm from Cincinnati, um, and, and, and I love those kinds of things, but there's certain things. You, you dive into, like, my family or this story, that, and, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of this in a minute. This, is, this, this story has had um, 
probably top three Bible story impacts in my life. And I got to preach over today. I was like, oh, I got really excited. And I was like, wait, that also means that Matt may become a complete emotional wreck. Um, so just heads up on that. Um, I was just sitting here telling you about that. And I was like, I almost just did it right there. So there's was, was a rebound. I was just filling time. So I didn't start crying before I even said anything about it. So I don't know what my deal is. My wife's pregnant. I guess that might be. Oops, that's out of the bag. I don't know if we're telling people yet, but... <laughs> I might be in so much trouble when I get home. <laughs> uh, surprise! Okay, so let's all just pretend like that didn't just happen. My wife's not feeling super well today, so don't like get out of here and just start calling her. She, she gets like, and we're not doing the Facebook thing, just heads up, you know, we're not like, hey, look, it's all on Facebook. I'm pregnant, so, so yeah, so... That was dumb. <laughs> hey, Matt, are you ready for it? <laughs> I, I don't think I have an option. <laughs> so, surprise. I, don't, I said that to tell you that I'm, I'm kind of a little out of it right now. I'm, I'm an emotional wreck lately. I'm, I'm, okay, move on, Matt. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, personal story. We're talking about Saul's conversion. If you're going, I've never heard that story. I have no idea what that's about. It's okay, we're going to get into it. But you need to know that this was the first Bible story in my life that actually made sense to me. I mean, how many of us, in all honesty, have read through the Bible and read different things and, and pulled out certain scriptures? And people go, oh, you start here. And you start reading, you're like, that makes no sense to me. I have no idea what this is talking about. Uh, a, a quick story, I, I served in the mission field in Serbia for a while, and, and this is one of the coolest things that the Bible can do. This is why we love it so much, it's because it is, the, it is the living word of God. And so certain areas may not make sense, and I'm in Serbia, and we were there for the whole summer, and our whole goal was to walk around the University of Belgrade and share the gospel with people for a whole summer. That was my job. And needless to say, it was not going well. Uh, we, we were being watched by the, by the government. We weren't allowed to do certain things. It was just crazy. I almost got arrested. I got thrown against a car. It, was, it, was just, it wasn't going well so far up to this point. So I didn't know what to do. So I went down into this basement of this hostel, we were saying, which is super sketchy. I mean, a lot of the codes and requirements we have here, they did not have there. And, and, but it was the only place I could go because I was with 40 people in this hostel who were with us, but it was the only place I could go to get some quiet. So I went down there, and uh, I just started reading my Bible. Creepiest thing I've ever had happen to me, probably, is all of a sudden this guy goes, hi, and he was sitting in the corner. I'm like, whoa, you know, like you're in a boiler room corner, and he, and he, he walks up to me, and he was from Cyprus, Greece, and he was like, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, same thing you're doing. There's all these crazy Christians here, and I'm trying to escape. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. It was, it was more in broken English, but he, he, we started talking, and it was one of those divine appointment kind of things where he just all of a sudden comes up to me and goes, what's the most important thing in your life? I'm like, oh, okay, thank you, God. That's just laid right out there for me to share. So we start sharing, and I mean, I'm talking nine straight hours in this basement. I just pulled the Bible apart for this guy. He's like, don't get it, don't get it, don't get it, don't get it. And I mean, nine straight hours. We took a walk because we had to go get something to eat because we were hungry, and this continued on for for that period of time, and right at the end, I finally got to Galatians 2.20. You can look it up on your own time, but I read that to him, and all of a sudden, it was literally like a light bulb. He goes, oh, I get it. 
It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I just watched. I mean, like, I had given him all the answers that I was trained to give. I mean, I went through lots of training on sharing the gospel and presenting it and doing these sorts of things. But here I am, and I just finally go to this verse. I'm like, well, it meant a lot to me. Maybe I'll just share it to him. And I read it to him, and he was just like, oh, sign me up, basically. I was like, man, I wish I would have done that like eight and a half hours ago. <laughs> but, but, but the Bible can do that. And the story we're going to read today, that, that, that's my story with the scripture. And, and, and I'm going to talk more about that as we, as we go on. But uh, let's go ahead and let's just read it. Um, Acts chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. I got used to doing this in youth group. I have to say it like nine times. Acts 9, 1 through 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked, for, asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that means any Christians, anybody who believes in Jesus, men or women, he might, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Verse 6. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. For they led him by a hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Okay. That's our scripture for, for, for the day. That's what we're going to be talking about. Now, I'm not going to tell you about what Saul did today. We're, we're not going to talk about that. We're talking strictly about his conversion experience, how he came into a knowing relationship with Jesus. And you're saying, ooh, that's really deep, Matt. Um, he saw a light, and he believed that Jesus said, I'm right here. And if Jesus just showed up to me and said, you best believe or I'm going to blind you, you'd probably go, Okay. It's deeper than that, I promise. I promise it is. But we're not going to talk about what he did because he did a lot. If you know anything about the Bible, he later, if you hear me reference a guy named Paul, we're talking about the same guy. His name was changed. And Tom's going to be teaching this as we go through it. We're going to hear a lot, a lot from the Saul guy. But you need to know who he was to understand who he became and why this was so important. So, uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to follow along, um, you can. Just so you know, I am now actually for real posting my notes. There's a link on, uh, on, on our website under my staff page, and it's actually on my Facebook profile under notes. So if, if, if you're like, I'm trying to scratch all these down and you don't want to do it or you just want to listen, you can find uh, all the notes there from, from me or all the scriptures that I'm using and everything. So, uh, but basically, to understand Saul, you have to understand who he was. I did a lot of study on this. In verse 1 here, we have a really interesting thing. It says that Saul is breathing out these murderous threats, depending on what version you look at. It, this is really important to understand, because what's going on here is this, is that the church is being persecuted. Jesus is gone now. He has sent his Holy Spirit we see the church growing. We see that the church is also being persecuted, and so it starts spreading. It's spreading all over, it, and it's obviously gotten to Damascus because that's where Paul's trying to go. And so it's spreading all over. It's going like crazy, but they're being persecuted. Now, the leader behind kind of who is persecuting people is this guy named Saul who we're looking at today. 
And when it says that he breathed out murderous threats, I did some research on that word. It's really interesting. The word breathe or breathe appears exactly 100 times in the Bible, depending on what version you use. Of those 100 times, this is the only time that the word breathe connotates an essence, like of who he is. The only time. You can't find it anywhere in Scripture. I believe it's 52 times you hear the word breathe associated with giving life. Here we see it in the form, if you were to translate it just directly from the Hebrew, it's in the form of, it is his essence of who he is, his being, who he's become, what he's saying is what he's doing, all these kinds of things. And so you need to understand that when he breathed murderous threats, it wasn't just that he was saying them, it is who he was. He hated Jesus Christ. You need to understand, he hated Jesus. The essence of Saul's being was to hate Jesus. You got it? I just said it like six times. That's who he is. You need more proof? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 26, 9 through 11. It's going to be appearing on the screen too. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things. And this is Saul speaking, by the way. His name is Paul now at this point. Things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And listen to this. This is important. This is an angry guy we're talking about here. And in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. Paul did not like Christians. His essence, everything about him, he hated this room. If if, if we were living in this time and Saul showed up, we'd be running. We wouldn't be sitting here because he would arrest you and try to get you killed. That was his job. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It's just a snippet of it. We, we, we studied this already, but uh, there was this guy named Stephen who was the first martyr, first guy killed. We saw it before. This guy Saul was there. Not only was he there, Saul approved of his execution. Saul was the guy behind the first, the first death of, of a Christian for their faith. So, I, I just, this is really important to where we're going today, that you have to understand how deep his hatred ran. If you, study, if you study the life of Paul elsewhere, he will lay out that he was, it says, the Hebrew of Hebrews, that he knew all the rules, that he did all this stuff. His life was devoted to following God, but his legalism actually stopped him from ever having any heart towards God. Saul had to lose his religion to gain his righteousness in Christ. It had to be taken away. So here's the tension. Here's here's what we have going on. And I hope this messes with you a little bit today because one of the greatest things about preparing a sermon is that you just get to dive in. And and listen, I I could stay on that word breathed for three hours. And you're like, oh, great. That's what we do here. You get long sermons, just deal. 
Here's the tension. We have a conversion of a man who hates God. Not just hates him. We have a conversion of the most unlikely candidate for salvation. Do you understand that? We have a conversion of a guy who breathed his essence of who he was. Everything he did was against God his whole life. We know that roughly he was probably somewhere between 25 and 35 years old. His life was committed to opposing Jesus. And up until this point, he hated Jesus. And hate is a strong word. It only appears a few times in the Bible, but when God uses it, it's, it's for strong. And, and he hated Jesus. Hated everything about it. How does that fit into our theology in our church today? That's my question, is, is how do we take this example? Because you have to understand something. When you read the Bible, it's not just some cute story that existed a long time ago. I firmly believe that people are very similar today as they were then. They're still people. Still do stupid things. Still mess up. Still do great things. Still motivated. Still do all these things. But you need to understand that this is speaking to us here today in our context. You can't view this as some kind of, oh man, that was a crazy story, wasn't it? How does this fit with how our church operates or how the church operates? Because I'm just going to go out on a limb here, but I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that we've all said things along the lines, if you're a believer, along the lines of, well, this person, they're just not there yet. They're too far gone. The life they are living directly opposes God in so many ways that it sickens me. This person, when I think of them, I actually get kind of angry. And don't lie, we all got that person. Come on now. You think of them in your head and you're just like, man. Or, or, or even worse, the, the, the person that you love so dearly that it's been 30 years of prayer. And they're still nowhere near God. Nowhere. How does that fit for us? That he came in and saved the most unlikely character in the Bible up to this point. It should be humbling for us. It should, it should take what we think we know about somebody being ready or somebody who is close or somebody who is too far and totally wipe that out and say, this isn't up to me. I have no say in this besides a petition before God to drop to my knees and beg for his mercy. I want us to do something. We're going to examine the scripture through the lens of scripture. If you never do this, this is a great way to study the Bible. It is what you do is this, is you find a scripture like what we're looking at today, and you find one where, the, where whoever wrote that or the person that's talking about talks about it later or at a different time. And it might give us more insight into what's going on here. So I want us to look at 1 Timothy um, chapter 1, verse 15. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving. Again, this is Saul speaking. 
and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of who I am the foremost. He's saying, I am the foremost sinner in the world. Okay? Verse 16. This is really important. Don't miss this if we go there. Verse 16. There we go. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. Catch that. That Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Saul, Paul, was saved for you. Don't miss this. He was saved as an example so that God could show off his perfect patience with Saul. His perfect patience with his essence of being breathing murderous threats. That means God allowed Saul to kill Christians so that this story may be told this way. You need to understand that, the, that God's desire and what he does doesn't always fit into what we think is right and wrong. You need to understand that this all happened. Everything, the persecution of the church to scatter the church so that it may grow, but some had to suffer, right? Some had to die so that they would run, that they would run to places like Damascus, that they would run to places like Tarsus, and that they would run all over the world. And that when the church was planted just about 50 years ago in China, that they would be persecuted so that they would run everywhere. Do you see the sovereign hand of God? And that means that he is in control, that he is not loose. He is not, I, I can't stand the song. There's a, there's a old, old song, it's from a distance. You know that song? I'm not going to sing it. Tom's a good singer here. He lied about my singing. God is not at a distance. He is involved. He is in it. He is part of it. And he knows. We have to get that. Because if we don't, our theology will let us down. Because then we'll start saying things like, how could this happen? How did this happen this way? How could this go on? One of the most proud moments I ever had was I had a teenager who was in a high school ministry with me who lost his father. And people came to him and said, oh, it's part of the plan of God. And he was able to say, no, it was not. But God was not surprised. Do you see the difference? His dad's death was not God's plan. Our plan was to live forever. Our plan was never supposed to leave the garden. Genesis 1, that's the plan. But you have to understand that his sovereign hand, he is not surprised by tragedy. It's not like, oh, wow, didn't see that coming. Bummer. He doesn't exist that way. Do, 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 we, do we grasp that? He, he exists outside of our time. We're forward linear in time. You want something to blow your mind? He existed before time. What? I don't even know what that means. That was a bit of a rant. That wasn't in there. <laughs> the point is this, is that all this happened so that God could display his perfect patience. Saul was saved for you. So that if you are sitting here today and primarily you are saying, I can't pray anymore for that person. What they have done to me is too great. 
The ways that they have hurt me are too bad. The ways that they have just ignored God and spit in his face repeatedly is just too much. You need to know today that God showed his divine, sovereign love here in Saul. Perfect patience. That's our God. He waited in perfect patience. Likewise, if you're sitting here and you're like, I have no idea who this Jesus guy is, or I do, but I really don't like him. He is perfectly patient for you. He has to be. Who in here could raise their hand and go, no, he doesn't need to be that patient with me. I got it. If you do, you're in the wrong church. God is in control. Let's check this out. This is cool. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For you've heard my former life, this is him speaking again, in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Are you getting it yet? I'm, I'm pounding at home that he really didn't like the church, okay? Verse 14. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace... Do you see how God knew this? It says that he had called him before he was born. God knew exactly what was going to happen. For some of you, you know, I, be honest, I don't know how to lay that out always in a good way. Because you could be sitting here today and you could be in pain you could be, I, I mean, it, it never ceases to blow my mind when I talk to people what people have gone through. I mean, you have to understand, human beings are really resilient. I mean, how many people come into my office every single week just so torn up, top to bottom? I, I share this all the time that I, I have a friend, they don't live here, but they live, they live back in Ohio, and, and because of the damage in, their, in, in, in his wife's life, she, she, she was abused as a child, horribly. That every single day, not every single day, every single, he said almost every single week she'll have a breakdown and tell him that she, he should leave her because she's not good enough and that she hates him. And they have a great marriage. Do you understand how we define great? It's not, it's, it's, it's not this form of like this fake, well, everything's good. This couple has an amazing marriage and every week his wife tells him that she doesn't love him. That's beautiful. Do you see how, how, how Jesus can take things and flip them upside down? Because God knows. He knows that you're broken. He knows that you're short of it. He knows you're never gonna fully get it. He knows you're gonna struggle. He knows you're gonna get fired. He knows you're gonna struggle financially. He knows that your kids may rebel against you. He knows all of these things, but he is working them out to make all things good. Right? Like, wrap your head around that. That is the God that we claim and that we serve. God is in control. I hope that's freeing for you today, that you see that everything that happened here, that he knew. He said he picked them before he was even born. That's just neat. 
maybe neat's not a good word. People say neat. <laughs> Church. I'm talking to those of you who claim Jesus. We do not get to itemize people. That is not your right as a believer. What do I mean by that? You do not get to decide who is too far and who is close. It's not up to you. It's not. We got to quit itemizing people because let's just be honest here. Well, here, I'll bring it back in. I've been a Christian since September 16th, 2000. That's when I got saved. If I go home, people are still shocked to find out I do what I do. You want to know why this story resonates with me so much? Why this light flashing, and I, I entitled it Knocked Off Your Horse because that's what I always said happened to me. I just got knocked off my horse. I was a teenager, pretty much got everything that they wanted. I was a complete brat. I'm just being honest. Uh, I, I, um, of my four best friends that I grew up with, five of them, out of my five best friends growing up, four of them are serving um, 15 to 20 years in prison currently. That was the crew that I hung out with. Um, I was the kid, I sold um, illegal drugs to uh, an elementary schooler one time. Um, yeah, I'm your youth pastor, heads up. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to get smaller now. <laughs> uh, I have done things that still haunt me. That just, I can't believe I was part of that. Taking a human being and beating them within an inch short of their life, literally. Literally, being part of that. Do you think I was a candidate? You think my friend, like there was two Christians in my high school, I went to a small high school in southeastern Indiana, right outside of Cincinnati. Do you think they were like, man, that guy. I see it. <laughs> Not even close. Not even close. Just for time's sake, I'm not going to, I was going to bring a couple people up here, but I, I wanted to share a couple other things. Um, you can meet with um, our elder board. I'm an elder here, Tom's an elder here, but um, my friend Josh Pierce is an elder here. He shared his story at Men's Fellowship. He was a far cry from the likely candidate. But people like John Roberts reached out to him repeatedly. Do you understand that we do not get the right to itemize? It's not. Now, here, here's the cool part. You get to be part of it. When I started in youth ministry, I can say it now because I've been here for several years, but man, you guys got somebody wet behind the ears when you hired me. I'd never done any of that stuff before, ever. And, uh, and the church was, was good enough to send me to a conference in Atlanta. And many of you have heard of him. His name's Francis Chan, was one of the keynote speakers there. And it affected how I did youth ministry, how I did ministry, how I did life forever. He got up 
And he was talking about how in youth ministry, how he had been to these churches that had these amazing youth programs and how they had these, the, the most incredible children's ministries and how they had like, I mean, like you could, the kids could get on a rocket and ride it around and it went into a water park and they'd go down a slide and there was somebody holding a lollipop for them at the end and they'd come out and they'd all be saved. You know, I mean, that was an exaggeration, but... I've seen it, okay? I've been to some churches where like, I'm like, hey, but I'm all for it. If you, can, if you can reach people for the gospel with a rocket ship and a laser, go for it. I'm, in, I'm impressed, right? Like all those kinds of things are great. But he said, you know what? In my church, I want the youth leader. I want the person in ministry who understands that unless they drop to their knees and beg for these kids to come into a knowing relationship with Jesus Christ and that the Holy Spirit might fall on them and change them, that no program was ever going to matter. No trip, no anything. When we bring youth volunteers on here at this church, I want to know, will they drop to their knees and beg for our youth salvation? I'll be the first to admit, we're not probably the best youth ministry that's ever existed, but I think we, we have people committed to doing that exactly. And I believe God will honor that. That's the part you get to play. You don't get to decide who does and doesn't. You get to be a part in dropping to your knees and just giving petitions to God. Saying, please, please move. Please do things. And, and, and while you're doing that, you're supposed to understand that he has perfect patience and that it may run you tired and it may not be in your time, but he hears you. God writes the agenda, not us. Again, I was not a likely candidate. Josh wasn't a likely candidate. But here, here, here's the thing. Neither were you. I don't know you that well. Some of you I do, some of you I don't. But you weren't either. You need to understand that you were strictly saved by his grace And I just pray for this church, and I pray for all churches, that we will stop acting like we're people who we, we did something to get this. That we have some sort of entitlement to this. That like, oh, well, yeah, I'm good. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Nobody in here is righteous outside of Jesus. We miss out on really cool things. If we itemize people, I really believe that. There's a, I got a letter from a, there's a guy named um, Brandon. Um, he's been coming to this church for a while. He, he accepted Christ here, which is always just an honor to have people come into your relationship with Jesus in, in your presence. When you're around, it's just an honor. To, it's a cool thing to see. And uh, Brandon um, is an unlikely candidate. And he uh, wrote me a letter because he's currently in prison. And, uh, and, and he knew he was going back to prison. Brandon's made a lot of really bad choices. You probably see me sitting right next to where Roy normally sits. Um, he's completely tatted out. Like, I mean, he's got prison tattoos, which if you've seen them, aren't usually the best looking tats. A lot of my friends have them. Because I believe his were done, he told me, with a VCR motor. Try to get precise with that. But he stands out. I... He's got like the tattoo of all of his skeleton underneath the skin running up his arm. He doesn't fit the mold. But he wrote me this. He said, uh, so how are things on the outside world? How is Christmas and New Year's? Well, I'm good. They moved me from Gunnison and now I'm in Denver. I have 23-hour lockdown for the first two weeks. Skip the middle part and go to the end. I should be back in church the last week of April. 
I really enjoy it there. I ask our Lord every day to forgive me and to take me in, so I really hope he does. Please pray for me. I'm trying to change my life around. Well, I miss you guys. Please keep in touch and send me things to read and study. I'll see you soon. God bless, Brandon. Um, not a likely candidate. If you itemize the people outside of these walls, you will miss it. Do you understand if you are a believer here today, hear me on this, if you're a believer here today, the salvation plan for the world is his church. So stop playing around and stop doing this garbage of it's just me and Jesus and we're going to hang out and be buddy and buddy and I'm not letting anybody else in. That is not the gospel and you are acting in opposition to Jesus Christ. So stop. He has called us to be unified, to love, to extend grace because when you understand grace, you understand that it's been given to you and you don't deserve it. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, you are not too far from him. There is no such thing. It doesn't exist. There is no distance. You have not done anything too bad. And I'm sure some of us could sit here and we could list things out that we have done that we think would move us too far. But you are not. Some of you need to know that the work you think you're doing to clean up before you can come to him is not necessary. He doesn't want you cleaned up because you'll never be cleaned up. You might look good on the outside, but inwardly you're not going to be there. He's saying, stop trying. It's our curse. Nobody in this room is there. And if you think you can continue working to gain your salvation, I want to I read you a story. It's in the Bible. It's a good one. Luke chapter 23. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with this. I know what time it is. I don't have a watch. I have no clue. Early. Cool. We're going to get out of here at a decent time today. Chapter 23, starting in verse 39. I'm going to read you a story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Today's like Matt's favorites. That's what you get. This is at the crucifixion. This is when Jesus is on the cross. One of the criminals who were hanged rallied at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The man hanging on the cross next to Jesus was literally nailed in position and could do nothing to ever gain salvation. 
Do you get it? He was there because of his crimes he had committed that were worthy of death. He admits it himself. He was bad. Yet, all it took was, Jesus, don't forget me. Please don't. That's all it took. I mean, imagine, I, I believe it's Matt Chandler who said this, I don't remember, who's a pastor who I really admire. Um, he, he talked about how, like, I, 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 we always talk about here, one of my hopes is that there's a great uh, Blu-ray section in heaven where you can go and pull up Bible stories and, and, and watch them and, and see what happened, like actually watch it. Wouldn't that be great? I don't know about you. I think it'd be cool. And it'd have to be in Blu-ray. I'm sure it's better, but I don't, that's all, the best I got. So we'll just stop there. But can you imagine the scene? This guy's walking around heaven after he died. People come up to him and say, how'd you get here, man? I don't know. I talked to this guy named Jesus. Well, what'd you do? Were you martyred? Did you, did, did you serve in your church? Did you, did, did you pass the offering plate? Did you do all these things? Like, no, I was a criminal my whole life. Oh, so how, how did you? Well, I don't know. I was just hanging up there, and it really hurt. And I looked over at him and said, Will you forgive me? And he said, yes. That's the equivalent. That's what's required of you today if you don't believe in him. Stop working so hard. Because the Bible clearly teaches that if you want to be made righteous, it'll be done through him. You have to break down the pride as I did. It took me a long time. Men, I think we struggle with this more than women. I'm just, it's a generalization, I know. I'm just saying guys do not like to ask for help, generally. If my iPhone can't do it, it's not worth being done. That's usually what, what I do. Listen, I don't care how much you can bench press. I don't care how many guys you've beaten up. I don't care how good you are at something. I don't care how much money you make. What I care about is are you willing to be man enough to humble yourself before a good God and submit to his authority? That is the mark of a Christian man. I, I pray that that will be you today. If you're saved, if you know Jesus today, you have a responsibility. We don't want you leaving here going, I guess I'm good. Uh, one of my favorite authors, I'll read the story and then we'll be done, is uh, named C.J. Mahaney. This is his book, Humility. I highly recommend it, guys. <laughs> this is an area that many of us struggle in, but I've been reading this and I've read it multiple times just because it's impacted me greatly because humility is an area that I struggle in greatly. But he says this, we're all in need of grace. There's no one of you, I'm sorry, there's no one you know who doesn't need more of it. And God has so composed his church, that's us, that when we're together in large corporate gathering or in small group or even in casual conversation, we can both receive grace and communicate grace through the exchange of edifying and appropriate words. Every conversation has potential, so let us pray. Lord, help me discern what kind of grace this person needs. For those who are legalistic or feel condemned, 
We want to bring justifying grace into their souls. To those struggling with, with a besetting sin, we want to bring sanctifying grace. To those experiencing suffering, we want to bring comforting grace. To those who are just weary, we want to refresh their souls with sustaining grace. The list goes on and on. Through each and every interaction, however casual, however brief, I want to impart grace through my words. For that's the purpose in granting us the gift of speech. If you are saved, your job in everything is to impart words of grace into this community. The list does go on and on. I, I mean, it, it could go forever. It's just something we need to do. We need to get over this fear of sharing the gospel. But we need to do it contextually right. We need to understand the people, right? We need to know them. We need to dive into their lives. I, 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 it's something that, and Tom and I especially, I, I, I just know because we spend a lot of time together, I'm not assuming this elsewhere, but it's something that has just gripped our hearts for this community. Do you know that I go to Starbucks at the same time every day to talk to the same girl? Her name's Sherry. She uh, went to Texas A&M. She lived in China for a while. She quit her job because another guy who had four kids was going to get fired. And so she moved here to work at Starbucks. At least it's entertaining to talk to people, right? But she told me she was lonely the other day. So I went, okay. I get to invite her to be part of a body. I'm like, man, my, my wife's in a small group. It sounds like they'd love to have you. She said she'd think about it. Do you get it? Intentional lifestyles. And we need to get rid of this concept that people are just an object to us. No. That is just an excuse that so many of us have bought to not share grace with anybody. This is not just my job. This is yours. If you claim the name of Jesus. If you were to live a missional lifestyle this new year, we're going to do some cool things. So if Tom and I were just dreaming about this, and, and this is why you need to come to business meeting, we're going to share some of this with you, is we want to celebrate everything this year. Everything. We have multiple people in the church who are having um, children this year. We need to celebrate that. We, we're going to be getting Brandon back. He told us a date. When he comes back, we need to have a party for him. We have people who, are, who just got engaged in the church. We need to have a celebration for them. We need to go out. And it doesn't mean just get here and have a potluck all the time. It means we're going to go to places like the trough bar, and we're going to hang out there, and we're just going get, to get together and have a good time. We're going to go places. We're going to do things, and we're going to be carriers of this grace so that this community may know it. I beg you, if you are saved, to take this seriously. And if you do not have a knowing relationship with Jesus, my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit will fall and move on you in ways that you never thought were possible. You are not too far. You are not too lost. You are not too broken. This is his job. This is what he does. He fixes the broken and puts them back together. That's why any of us are here, strictly by his divine sovereign grace. He has known you before you were born. He's not surprised by what you were going through. But he wants to go through it with you.
We need to understand that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for sending your spirit. Don't let us forget what we have, the opportunities that we have, the grace that we have been given. I just want to pray right now for those people in here who are just, I don't know, that they, they are convinced that the person that they have been praying for is uh, too far. I thank you, God, for their diligence and not letting go of that person. And I pray that you will fill them up. Give them a renewed hope in that today. God, I want to pray also for those who do not know you, that your spirit will be ever-present to them, that you will be the great comforter for those who need comfort, that you will be just beautiful salvation for them. I pray that if there's anybody who has pride that is getting in the way of that, that you'll just remove those walls and bring that down. God, we apologize if we've done anything to move them away from you. But we know you're big enough to handle this, so move, God. God, I want to pray for your church that it will have a missional lifestyle. A lifestyle that says missions are not abroad and it's not just something I pay for or that I give my tithe for so that we can send people thousands of miles. But we'll realize that every conversation we have is important. And that we will be people who bring grace in our conversations and in our, our lifestyles. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.